everyone. This is Crew Talk, Shoot Stop Video. And today we are talking about animation. We have some really awesome animators here and people who work in the animation industry and know a whole ton about that. So if you're interested in that, then you're in the right place because we have some really brilliant people here. And we may be doing a pre-roll here. I'm not sure if we're gonna do that, but I'm not so worried about that because we have so much great information here. My name is Justin McAleese. Uh, I'm with Shoot Stop Video and Blair Media. And we have a lot of lovely people, one of which is not Sarah Marintz. She is our normal host, and she wasn't able to make it with us today. Uh, she had the move. She, she went over to Dallas and all that stuff, and some other things happened. So I'm going to handle it from here on out. Um, and I think I have Jade, maybe? Who's, you got me, yeah. I yeah. don't have blonde hair, but I can... Uh, <laughs> That's okay. Can I'm sure you're a lovely person as well. And we will uh, have her sort of co-hosting today so she can help me out. And I think that will be great. Jade, tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Yeah, I um I have a nonprofit organization called Entertainment for Change that integrates uh, activism into the arts. I'm a voiceover actress whenever I can get a gig. And I live in New York City and sing. Um, I dance badly and I do things like this, you know. <laughs> um, and I act as well. Okay, cool. Multi-talented, excellent. Yeah, we have a full um, a full boat today. So I'm going to go around and <clears throat> have you guys introduce yourselves in just a second. I would also like to say that um, if you have questions, put them in the Q&A section. If you want to chat, if you want to talk to anyone, you could do it there. Uh, for all the people on the panel today, if you guys are able to answer any of the questions that show up in the Q&A, then that is very helpful because oftentimes we don't actually we can't get to all the questions in there. And so if you can be typing while someone else is talking, we can sort of divide and conquer in that way. And that works out really well. So that is one of the things we do. Uh, this is sponsored by Shoots.Video. And so if you haven't gone to the site Shoots.Video yet, you should go there, you should log in and you should make a profile. Then you should log in if you haven't done so already, because that is what powers this? And we will be later giving out $50 gift certificate to be an H photo video. And the way you win that is by going to the site and doing something that we ask you for. So that's that. That's our housekeeping out of the way. Happy to have you here. And yeah, let's get going. Um, on these intros, gotta be short, like like 20, 30 seconds, or else we will we will never get to talking about all the cool animation stuff. Um, yeah. So Mark, let me let me hear from you. What's going on, man? What do you uh what do you do? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm known mostly as a story artist. Uh, a couple of magazines called me the godfather of storyboarding, and I thought that was cool. So I've taken on that name. Uh, I've been working in the industry over 30 years. I work mostly in live action, but I, uh, I storyboard and, and produce animation as well. I've worked on nearly 6,000 productions now. Um, I'm currently on all of the Walking Dead shows, all, all three of them. The new Dexter, Black Lightning. And uh, I, I forget, I mean, I've been, I've been jumped back and forth every day between a lot of different really big shows. Uh, but a lot of what I'm storyboarding are the animated characters that are in those shows. Like on Black Lightning, we have uh, CG versions of every actor. So all those sequences, among others, I'm also boarding. Um, wow. I wrote, yeah. That's cool, man. What, what, no, I was just saying, wow, that's a lot of stuff. And it, it's great that you're able to um, work on so many shows simultaneously. That's really awesome. It's, um, it's fun. It's a lot of late nights. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, DJ, you're next in my lineup. What's what's your deal? Hey, man, uh, I'm DJ. I've uh, been in the industry since about uh, 2003. Uh, I've 
many magazines have called me subscriber, but, um, beyond, <laughs> but beyond that, um, I, you know, I've done the opening titles, CSI New York, CSI Miami, a couple of seasons of Survivor, Big Brother, <laughs> currently on The Masked Singer, did uh, the New Year's Eve for Fox, uh, and also the 2018-2019 uh, World Cups. Uh, I also teach animation at Arizona State University and uh, for School of Motion. So I kind of do a little bit of all the animation, visual effects, kind of cover it all. Wow, that's cool. You've done, you didn't mention Blair Media. That seems weird to me that you didn't like put that <laughs> at the top of the seconds. list. No, I think you've done some of our lower thirds and intros for some of our corporate clients and things like that. No, did, no, did a fantastic piece for Santa Clara fun. University that I think Corbin, I have good feelings about. So Corbin, kick him off. Kick him off. He's done. Um, Levi, you're next. What uh, what do you do, man? Tell me about it. Hi, so I'm Levi, and uh, I've been in the animation industry for about 10 years. I've worked on TV shows, commercials, VR, AR, and some significant shows that I've worked on in the past have been Penguins of Madagascar, the TV show. Uh, I've worked on webisodes for Star Wars Lego, and uh, I've, I've done a few Lucky Charms animation commercials, so... There you go. I've eaten a few Lucky Charms, yeah. so I think we're even. Um, we had you on a while ago, yeah? We yep. had you on a couple yep. Yes. Yep. I am not crazy, at least not for that reason. All right. <laughs> and Mike, I know that you have an illustrious career going. Tell me about, a little bit about Pipsqueak Animation. Gosh, well, not not in comparison to, to Mark's uh, <laughs> resume, but uh, I started my career at Disney Feature Animation. I was there for about 12 years. I was making uh, short films on the side, and they um, eventually got uh, good enough that I was able to leave and start a um, kind of professional directing career. And then as I, um, I sort of often tell people, uh, I somehow I, I started selling some projects and they gave us the money and uh, we ended up um, making the first one um, sort of in-house. I decided to not outsource it and buy some computers and software. And we did that and people started coming to us. We started selling more things. And one day I woke up and I, get, I was like, I guess I have an animation studio. So we do a combination of work for hire and original content. Clients include uh, DreamWorks TV, Cartoon Network, um, Netflix, Comedy Central, MTV, and then American Airlines, um, all kinds of things. So original content and work for hire. And been doing this for not as long as Mark, but. No, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's a lot of stuff I like and have probably seen. That's great. Um, Rachel, I think you are next. Tell me. Hey everyone, so my name is Rachel J. Schultz and I've been in the anim animation industry for about three and a half years, <laughs> so a little less than some of the people up here, but it's super, super awesome to be able to be a part of this panel. Um, currently, I've had work in, I've been working in TV and the gaming industry, and I have a lot of work that's been on Netflix and Nickelodeon and have worked on some AAA games as well. But currently I'm an animation um, supervising artist at DreamWorks TV. Gotcha, beautiful. Yeah. All right, and uh, Kane, uh, how you spell, how you say your your real name, Kane? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's Hagop Kannebohazian. Okay, cool. I go by Kane. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been creating animations for about 23 years or so. Um, Began my career doing commercials for TV. Uh, thanks for Taco Bell and local stuff. Uh, went into video games, worked on some games like uh, X-Men Legends, Chronicles of Riddick. And then for the past 15 years, I've been doing pharmaceutical and scientific animation. I head up an animation team at a company in San Francisco called The Sierra. 
And yeah, we work with the top pharma companies around the world. And I'm like, I write children's books. For fun. Nice. Yeah, good. I'll bet there's, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of money in the pharmaceutical industry that, that probably has a slightly different career path than some of the other stuff where people are doing it for other reasons, I would imagine. That's great. Um, is, Jade, do you, have, um, do you have the questions in front of you? Do you want to get us started here? I think you said questions because I did. It, it cut out for one moment. Oh, sorry. Um, but um, but yeah, no, I um, I would love to know um, how how do how do you handle clients who ask how much to animate a thirty second commercial with no other info? I cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it can span Step to one. other whatever you guys work on. You know, it's it's the idea of like how much is thirty seconds, and you're like like where do you start with that question? I, I always start by asking for more information. I mean, no one like voluntarily starts with offering up everything that you need in order to be able to, to bid something out. Um, and so it's a combination of asking questions that will allow you to sort of price things. And, um, you know, part of that is, um, you know, what's the, what are their references? Like what, you know, what quality level are they trying to hit? Is it going to be a 2D spot? Is it going to be a 3D spot? Um, you know, uh, they want Disney quality. I mean, that's just, <laughs> is we that the words, that. is that the words that they always use within the industry? Always Disney well, quality. Yeah, 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 exactly. And Funny. then, and then, and then you want to push back. So, so yeah, so there's quality, there's, um, uh, like, um, how many sets of notes, what's their process going to be? What are their expectations for process? Um, and, uh, and schedule. And then you're always pushing back and asking them what their budget is, because that'll, that'll sort of help scope you in terms of where you should be coming in. I mean, um, you know, for a variety of reasons. One, I think this industry, my experience is that you're, you can do animation for a whole variety of price points. And, um, and if you do all of them at the lowest end, you're not going to make a living. And you're not going to be able to pay the people that are working for you a living. And so who needs breakfast? Yeah, right. Well, you know, maybe you're only going to be eating uh, those Lucky Charms uh, that that Levi has has animated. So I think yeah. it's it's like you want to you want to scope things um, so that you can make a sort of accurate bid and a and a place to start. And it's also a place to start weeding people out because, as Mark said, I mean, I am sure that we've all had people call us and and go you know, give the Disney reference, or I've definitely had like the Star Wars reference, you know, someone's looking for visual effects. We want it to be like Star Wars quality. And then you ask what their budget is and they'll, you know, a thousand dollars. Yeah. You're like, okay, well, I, I, we can cut this conversation off pretty quickly. <laughs> I think it's also about understanding um, the industry. Every industry is different. So you really have to understand what is comparable in that industry. So 30 seconds of animation, in feature film is not the same as 30 seconds in television. It's not the same as a commercial or pharmaceutical or anything else. So start yeah, there. But it, but it doesn't mean anything without the details. I mean, the question sure. is irrelevant because without the script storyboards and director's notes and, and a, a comparative sample of what they want it to look like, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, one of the first things I always get into with clients um, is I do ask the budget um, uh, and, you know, once I see the storyboards and we talk a little bit about it, they never want to say what it is. So then I say, all right, do you have 500,000 or, or you have $500, 50,000 or 150,000? And they go, oh, it can range that much. I went, yeah. You know, well, we want it under five. It's like, great. Go talk to somebody else. Like, you know, uh, you know, like Mike said, you can cut it off very quickly if they don't, if, if they don't have enough money. 
they don't want to tell you until you give them a range. And then they'll say, oh, it falls within this area. So at least narrows it down. Sure. But then I get into using, I, I started in construction <laughs> before I moved out to LA. And uh, so I always use building a house. Well, how much does it cost to build a house? Well, I don't know. It depends. How many bedrooms? How big is it? You know, do you want marble or linoleum? It's exactly the same thing with animation. Yeah. You know, are we going to have oh, shadows, God. effects, how many characters, you know, what, what quality of motion are we doing? Stop motion, CG, 2D, a mix, you know, all those different things. How many characters do we have to design? How many backgrounds are there going to be? You know, we have to go through all of that because, you know, anyone who says, well, I was told that it's a thousand dollars a minute for animation. Not by anyone who knows what they're doing, you haven't. <laughs> or it's an Indian studio um, who, you know, they have people. It's who done a different way. Pay. Yes. Yeah, it's yes, just not yes. the same. And you, you just can't work that way. Sure. Car, car comparison, you know, is it a yeah. Toyota? Is it a Lexus? Is it a Ferrari? Like they're all yep. cars. Yeah. But all that's what cars. I, that's what we often lean on because it's so obvious. You know, how much is a car? Well, what does that mean? Is it used? Is it 10 years old? Is it a piece of trash? Or is it, you know, like you said, a, a brand new Ferrari or whatever? Um, I, I, I actually like to um, compare it. I do, I like those uh, comparisons that uh, Kane and Mark just said. I often find like, um, people from, you know, producers are from more of like live action background. I try to like tie it back to, um, you know, how they would think about budgeting a live action shoot. And I try to find the, like, to me, I think there's like an 80% overlap between like animation and animation process and live action. And so I try to like draw and they, people invariably come in and they either, you know, they don't know, they legitimately don't know, or they act like they don't know. And I, I try to really draw those comparisons and the same way. And I'm like, well, you know, are you, are you, are you, is, is this the, um, you know, independent, um, you know, uh, one location cabin in the woods, or is this going to be Titanic on the yeah. ocean with, you know, with crowds and, you know, and I sort of like list the things that for them, they know would be expensive. Um, and I try to sort of liken um, what we go through, uh, to what they would go through as they sort of figure out how much their TV shows or movies would cost. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you have to educate your client. I mean, that's part of our job, honestly, in, in just about anything we do is letting them know sort of what their sandbox would be given any basic budget limitations and get them started from there. Because like, like you said, they don't know. They don't know how much animation costs. They might have heard some really misleading fact um, uh, numbers in the past. And so they that's our job is to like lead them to where we can work together and we can actually get something accomplished. And you know, one of the things that's really hurt our industry is people who leave a big studio and work as an independent and don't understand that your budget has to include potential overages and electricity and rent. So what, what they're charging is something you can't make a living on, but then it trains clients to expect one tenth of what it should actually cost. So independents who don't understand true costs hurt everybody. Yeah, because they're they're Robin Peter to pay Paul. You know, it's to they might not have anything budgeted for backup or upgrades to their software or new hardware or any of those things. And so it's only going to be sustainable for a couple of years. And then the client might want to come back and be like, hey, can I have I want to update that version? And they're like, out of business, or they don't do that anymore. They don't yeah. have that stuff sitting around or any of that. There's a lot of hidden costs from the from the consumer's end, from the um, whoever is uh, contracting you out to do that, that they just don't realize what our overhead is or what your guys' overhead mm -hmm. would be. Yeah, quite interesting. Uh, DJ or Levi, I, I feel like we've covered this fairly well, but yeah. or Rachel, yeah. any other input? 
Uh, I would just piggyback kind of on what, you know, what was already said. I spent uh, seven years as a creative director at a major uh, tech company where on my floor, I was the only person that wasn't an engineer doing code, doing that kind of stuff. So when people would come to me, um, it, it was, you know, the education was the big thing. I mean, you know, imagine if you stopped, you know, to, to bring it up yet another more metaphor to it, you know, you stopped at a place on the side of the road that said restaurant. Sure. And, you know, you'd go in and you'd say, like, how much is food? What is food? You're like, you, you wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have the information to, like, tell them that you want, like, you know, a cheesesteak or whatever you want. Um, but and, and that was kind of the situation that we, we had was they knew that they needed a video or a, an animation or whatever it may be to put together. Um, but they just lacked the background and that understanding to be able to actually make it. And so that was where we would step in. And, and it was and we found the more that we focused on education, like the the, the easier it was to kind of convert clients into good clients, um, you know, so that they weren't kind of underbidding so that they knew next time around what to kind of expect. Yeah, I, I was gonna, I was gonna say another strategy that I have is to, um, is try to get them to understand that, you know, yeah, you could go to an Indian studio or wherever and maybe get a bid that is lower, um, but you're not going to get the service. And so one of the things that we sort of try to do is to say, hey, look, We'll work with your budget. I mean, again, there, there needs to be a minimum that we can do anything with, but uh, a better way of thinking about uh, our services as sort of like more of a boutique studio, studio is we will help you figure out the best way of spending that money um, so that you can get as much on the screen as possible, but it's realistic. Like we can actually pay people, um, you know, reasonably. Um, yeah. and, and again, for the right client, that actually is a, um, is a selling point. Like they actually if you come in and you don't know animation and there are all these, there's all these knobs that we can tune on the animation side and some things that might be like really valuable, like for us creatively, like maybe we're like motion sensitive. And so like animation is super critical, but maybe for the client, they don't really care about that. What they really are interested in is like the overall like visual complexity of, of the frames. And they don't really care so much about movement. Well, if we know that, then we can sort of help guide them um, to, you know, what would be an art direction style that would um, give them what they want, but allow them, allow us to sort of work it so that again, like it'll come in under whatever budget cap we've agreed to. Yeah, we've yeah. kind of backed into budgets at times too, where, you know, if they've got something, I'll say, all right, let us design something that works. Instead right. of you telling us what you want visually, you tell me what you've got and I'll tell you what we can design to fit that budget. And quite often that that's worked and we've sold clients that way. Yeah, that's, that's nice. That's almost all of what we do. Do you guys have any workarounds for um, educating them? Do you, do you ever send them to watch other videos or do you have a, like a white sheet of stuff like that? What's the best way to get them on the same page with you guys? I send them samples of a lot of different styles. And, and for a long time, I had a sheet that had um, a single image of lots of different styles of animation. So they could look through, oh yeah, well, we want something that kind of looks like this or, you know, or something like that. And that at least helps because you have to kind of guide and narrow down what direction before you can even start yeah. the conversation. We, I was at Home Depot today and doing something else. But, you know, I mean, there's 50 different types of light switches and they range in price. It's like something and that's one that's a level 0.01 complexity compared to this is like a level thousand complexity. So, yeah, I mean, I think people understand that there's going to be a difference, but you really need to enumerate that. Um, I also wanted to say when I was when I do freelancing. Um, I just ask the client, what do you define animation as? Because you could 
say yes to an animation project and not understand that you have to create the assets and like actually create the movement and then do the lighting and the rendering when they think that all of that is just animation, <laughs> when animation is just creating the movement. And so you really just need to understand what they define as animation. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, yeah because yeah. there's a lot of interchangeable words, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And so like DJ, you do maybe more graphic design than some of the other people here. That, that's a guess. But um, how, when do you get in that conversation? Like, they're like, well, I want a lower third animation. And you're like, yeah, but that's, uh, that's actually like graphic design with motion graphics. Like, when do you have those discussions or what does that discussion entail? So my approach to kind of educating a client was, you know, I've always kind of included it as part of my marketing. So I actually have an infographic and, you know, I have different pieces that I've put together that kind of walk through my process. Because my concerns, if I start bringing in pieces that other people have done that, you know, they might ask for something that, you know, it's not really, you know, 100% what I do. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm dancing around and, you know, sell animation, then that's just not my jam. Uh, you know, so I, I actually created like, a, you know, a video, an infographic that kind of goes over not just, you know, the different styles and like kind of breaks out the different techniques, you know, and it's just a little three, you know, two, three minute piece that, that breaks that out, but also talks about like, what's the workflow going to be, you know, how can, what, what can you expect from me throughout the process? Uh, and that was something that I picked up for, you know, we did that at the tech company that I worked with just because it made it easier when we were getting requests to be able to send this out. And, you know, this was this kind of, you know, it was how to work with us 101, you know, what we expect from you, what to expect from us. And just, it, it kind of greased the wheels uh, so that, so that things moved along in a much better way, because there was that kind of, with, since it was motion design, there was, you know, is, so you do graphic design, but you animate, you, you know, and it was, it was very clearly codified what we do and it felt tailored to us and well, it, was, it was a nice vibe. Yeah, that's great. We, um, you know, freshman year in film school, we learned what a pan was and a tilt and a dolly and a jib and a truck. And I still, to this day have does you know, like, they're like, well, just, just, uh, pan up and then I'm like it, 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 it grates in my head it hurts my head a little and I know what they mean they're saying up I understand it but it still hurts me in my soul I'm like it's a tilt damn it it's a tilt when you tilt up or down it's a tilt and I'm sure Mark has dealt with that a little bit while you're trying to all scroll. the time but but it makes a difference because a boom up is different than a tilt up and you, 100%. Have, so you have to use the right terminology yeah because in 2d animation a pan is any movement because you're just working in 2d that's sure. changing a little bit these days just because now we can integrate 3D with so many different things. Um, but yeah, it's those. And I, so, yeah, even seasoned directors misuse pan. I'm quite I mean, sure. I, and I got to tell you, some people you would never think are still <laughs> misusing that term. <laughs> a jargon is very important in a working relationship and even on color, even on mute sound. Mm -hmm any of those things, because you can misuse those words. And so like, as a client, I think it's, it's important for you to educate yourself on just the nomenclature. And as a, um, as one of us, like we need to be consistent in what we say so that we're not dancing around it too much. You know, some, something that I just thought of that a bunch of you have probably dealt with, they're also really paying attention to the fine print in your contracts. Uh, last year or a couple of years ago, I was producing the open animation to a, a movie for Universal. And um, we agreed on, on, on the cost for creating the look design and, and, and final delivery. But then when I got the contract, they had a whole section on security. 
and they were dictating that we had to have key card entry into our studio and a certain wow. number of security cameras pointed at certain directions. And I just called the exec. I said, oh, you're removing this entire section. He goes, but, you know, it's a security issue. Like, I don't care what it is. You're, I'm not even considering doing this. I said, you've got $150,000. I said, I'm going to charge you $250,000 just for that paragraph or that, that page if you want it. There's no need for it. Just remove it or we don't have a deal anymore. And you're in, you're in a tight bind on schedule. And so you're and down $150,000. Oh, okay, good, good. I was hoping no, no, they, they just got rid of it. I've, <laughs> don't ever think that's that you can't change a contract. I've had yeah. Disney tell me Disney doesn't change contracts, <clears throat> which is bullshit. I've changed every Disney contract I've ever been sent. So, um, but you have to read the fine print or you can really get screwed. Have you guys, this is sort of a different uh, discussion, maybe, but have you guys ever put something in a project that has a bunch of other animators on it or a bunch of other companies doing it? And then like your work gets mistake for anyone else's work. Has that ever occurred? I know that happens in VFX a lot where there's 50 VFX companies on working on a project on a movie, for example. So, sorry, what's the, what's the question though? I'm, I'm I... Basically, have you ever animated something that was part of a project that had other animation in it and then like those other companies maybe didn't do what you would have done or didn't live up to your level of expectations, anything like that. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. I don't know. Personally, we've worked on other things, but generally I've been pretty happy with what other people's work was generally. And well, I, you can only, you can only affect what you can affect. I don't know. I, for me personally, I don't let uh, that kind of stuff affect me one way or the other. Yeah, I don't think it's a, that big of a deal. I mean, you put your stuff on your demo reel. So, you know, that's really all that matters. I mean, you know, I've been head of story on a lot of projects with a lot of story artists working under me and, you know, each one did their thing. I'm still in charge of the whole thing. So I'm still responsible, but you know, if someone says, Oh, this was great. Well, that was so-and-so and it really doesn't go beyond that. Gotcha. Cool. Um, Jade, I think we're moving down the list here. I think we covered a lot of the stuff. Oh yeah. No, and yeah. I, I can have, I have a transition into it and something to perhaps add to in that um, I really appreciate the education conversation because especially in my early-ish career, I've been on both sides in a deep appreciation for the animation and as a voiceover actress being paid to eat breakfast and also having a nonprofit where I've worked with animators and companies and said, transparently speaking, I don't even know where to start with this budget. And I would love for any insight that you could provide for me so that I can respect and honor your work. So it makes a huge difference in just that transparent communication from the from the start and so um i've really enjoyed this myself um so speaking of early careers how did you get started in animation and do you remember your first animation job mine has to do with sneaking into a place <laughs> <laughs> um yeah when uh, when i when i first got started uh i i failed miserably at a test over filmation studios and um, and because of that, I ended up working in live action for a long, long time. And then Digital Ink and Paint started happening. So I bought myself a Digital Ink and Paint system and started just doing a bunch of demos just to play with it and, and learn it myself. And then I ended up with a demo reel. And I had heard that Disney or that a, a production company called Light, uh, Light Point Entertainment was moving into Disney down in Orlando. And uh, they were a CG house. So I figured that they would end up needing 2D at some point. 
because most people don't understand the difference, you know, clients. So I wanted to be their point source, but they hadn't opened up their offices yet. So there was no phone number, but I knew they were on the back lot at the Disney MGM studios, what they called it at the time. So I called an animator friend of mine, Travis Blaze, who uh, was working on the back lot. And I said, get me a pass in to see you, but I just need to sneak onto the back lot. And he said, why? I said, does it matter? He said, no. <laughs> so he got me a pass. I snuck on I just parked and I just went into every building I could find on the back lot until I found this guy, the president of the company. And uh, I asked if I could, uh, I said, look, I'm not looking for a job, but I'm assuming you're going to need 2D animation at some point. I just want to be your source. You got a minute. Let me just show you my stuff. And so he opened the door, went back. I showed him uh, what I was working, uh, some of my work. And then he started showing me what they were working on. They were working on a piece for the uh, upcoming Disney cruise line. The cruise line hadn't opened yet. And by the end of the conversation, I walked out with a contract to animate Tinkerbell to help launch the Disney cruise line. And that was my very first animation job. Wow. That's, that's some Steven Spielberg stuff right there. If you guys have heard his story yeah. about, uh, yeah, yes. getting his yep. own little office there on the lot. That's great. DJ, what about you? Oh man, how can I follow that up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess my, uh, mine also incorporates, um, illicit activity only that <laughs> I, I came, I was at film school during, uh, like the old Napster days. And I was the only person at my film school that could, uh, liberate software so to speak <laughs> so i became the only person on campus that could edit after the computer labs closed and so i would edit and i would do the um, animations on everybody's like you know film projects uh from there i you know was I, I started doing like just local commercials you know pawn shops local car dealers and that kind of stuff before i graduated and um I, for the longest time, I don't know what my first animation piece was, I suppose, only because for the longest time I figured I was an editor and that's just what editors do. Like I, you know, was have all these cool tricks um, because, yeah, it was part of this new vibe of editors that was going to have flashy stuff too. And um, then I realized that I wasn't an editor and I was actually an animator. And by that point, I had been doing it for 10 years. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I can't say what my first one was, probably a local car commercial of some degree um it didn't launch any cruise lines though so <laughs> i think it's important for people that are that are just starting to realize that like you always have a chance to pivot and what you think what you thought that part of the production business was whether it's post or pre or actual production like it might not be what you thought it was and so there's always a chance for you to be like actually i don't even like being a director i actually like being an ad that's a way different drop job like when you don't know what the difference is you don't realize that they're like night and day opposite in a lot of ways. And so there's always time for you to change and like get and specialize a little bit. Cause a lot of times people like people who are more specialized, not like I can edit and direct and DP and oh, yeah. I do all the things, which is some of the crap that I say sometimes. And it's because I'm not good at some of those things for sure. I'm sort of bad at some of them because well, you definitely, yeah. I was yeah. going to say, I definitely pivoted because I, I, my intent was to be on set. And then through the having the software that no one else had, I got pretty good at that. And um, yeah, and then realized that I don't like editing. That's just not my jam. I like to have fun and make stuff flashy. And, you know, that was that was much more my vibe. And, and it was, you know, I didn't really embrace that until probably 10 years ago. I mean, it was it was well into the career. So interesting how DJ got his groove back. Levi, <laughs> what do you got to say? So for me, I, I graduated uh, and I was living at home. My parents were allowing me to live at home uh, for college. And uh, 
I don't know, right after graduation and applied to maybe 20, 25 studios, both big and small. I was cool with whatever I was going to get, just get that foot in there. And uh, a lot of time was going by, maybe about a couple months. And it was getting to the point where my dad was, he was like, you know, if you're going to live here, you're going to have to help start paying rent. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was driving me out to, you know, uh, minimum wage jobs like Dollar General and, you know, going to get the application. I was like, oh, my God, I got to go find an animation job. And uh, uh, and I was shooting for the stars by that point. You know, I was like uh, aiming for different countries. I was like, just anyone, anyone could take me. I, I'm, I'm cool, you know. And finally, someone came back after about two, two and a half months, uh, and it was from New Zealand, and it was a startup animation studio called October Animation, and they had just signed a contract with Nickelodeon to be their farm studio to help work on a few of their CGI shows, which was going to be Penguins of Madagascar, Robot and Monster, Kung Fu Panda, uh, and so on, so on. And so... They were the only ones that accepted me. They, they were the only people that came back and like, we'll have you. So I had to go through another month of process to get the visa, get that going. I had $2,000, went over to New Zealand, like 8,000 miles away and started my career. So <laughs> there's no wrong way to do it. I think that's what it is. You know, it's just trying where you can and fitting in. Uh, in whatever way is possible for you. We have some more questions here. I love that you guys are answering the questions on the Q&A. That's great. Um, we'll, we'll continue with you guys um, answering the same one that we're already on. And, and we will be doing the giveaway here in about uh, 15, 20 minutes. So stick around for that. 50 bucks, B&H, everyone loves that. Uh, Mike. Uh, so I have a weird background. Um, uh, I actually have like a hardcore technology background. So I have like uh, undergraduate electrical and computer engineering degree. I have like um, graduate degree in computer science. I never, never like occurred to me growing up that you could have a career in animation. Um, I'm not, I'm not like an artist uh, by nature. Um, and so, yeah, just like nothing, nothing fit for me that, that the career that I, that my sort of second career would, would even be a possibility. Uh, but my second job was at uh, Disney feature animation. And that, while I started in the, technology side over there and eventually was kind of moved over to production and was one of the uh, supervisors on features, I started making these animated shorts and they started, I sort of sold Disney on the idea by, um, by making them training projects. And we initially did a training project for the technology group. And we basically said was, um, my pitch was, hey, look, we're going to work on this on the side. We want to use all of the infrastructure and pipeline that we use for our feature films. But like, you know, production doesn't like technology because we don't understand the tools that we're making and how they're going to be used. So we will do that. We will put this extra time in and, and uh, you know, uh, the back end will have like a, a little piece of animation to show. Um, and that turned out to be really successful. Um, and so successful that the pre I, we finished the first one, took a long time, but I, I would say two things. Uh, I was not originally thinking I was going to do anything other than get it off the ground. And then when no one else stepped up, I was like, okay, I'll produce it. And then, uh, and then no one stepped up to direct it. I'm like, all right, well, I'll direct it. And literally like, um, two weeks into that, I realized that I'd made a big mistake and that what I really wanted to do, it sounds so trite, like I wanted to direct. So cut to 10 years later, I basically did a series of these over a course of 10 years. 
Um, uh, and I would work basically from like six until 10 or 11 o'clock at night, you know, five to sometimes seven days a week. Um, and, um, eventually they just got good. Like, you know, I got an agent, (laughs) you know, and, um, but it, it took a really long time. Um, so I don't know, like, um, you know, I left to get my first sort of professional thing, uh, at Comedy Central. I directed this series called The Adventures of Baxter McGuire, but, I had been working for like literally a decade before then, like just trying to um, get good enough, I guess. You were, you were an overnight hero, right? An overnight sensation. That's how they always look at it after 10 years of, you know, 70 hour weeks. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Rachel, uh, we got it. We got to keep these short because we got more questions. So um, Rachel, tell me. Sure. Uh, Well, I took more of a traditional route. I actually went to art school for animation. Um, I always just loved drawing ever since I was a kid and loved theater. So I was like, oh, put those together and that's animation. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go be an animator. And um, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia. And so I took their animation program there, but I did not uh, receive a job for about probably two years after I graduated, um, which could be that could be a really dark place for students right now when they when you're just graduating um the main thing that just kept me going was I was staying connected with people from school who had already gotten jobs and just like kept asking for critique on my stuff and wasn't afraid to to show my stuff to people and not isolating myself from the art community uh just um so that I wasn't you know totally in my head about it so um, yeah, I landed my first animation job in um, Vancouver, Canada, and I worked on a TV series that was um, that's on Netflix right now. It's based on How to Train Your Dragon. So I was, yeah, I was a character animator for that. And yeah, another thing that I really think that for young animators, a great piece of advice would be um, not to put all of your worth into the art that you do because it's a job and at the end of the day, and it can be, um, if you start like mixing like your worth and your identity and something that you're like using for your job, that can be really hard (laughs) to deal with. So just like separating those two, like it's okay. It's just, it's okay if you have a bad day and um, like, it's okay if, if, it's not working out with your art for one day. It's, it's just a job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's an interesting take. I always think about like, you know, just how much goes into a movie, for mm-hmm. example. And it's like, you know, the, the writer, this is their whole dream for their entire life. Yeah. And it's been probably hundreds, maybe a thousand hours on the screenplay and it went through all these revisions. And then it gets to the production company and the director and all these things. And there's like hundreds of people on set and just every, there's like, a million man hours in this thing and then someone comes out of the theater and they're like how was the movie they're like that eh, sucked and you're <laughs> like ah so much happened yeah. to like let you think it sucked and you you know we can't take that personally a lot right. especially if we're like a small part of the part of the part mm-hmm. in a lot of ways yeah but you want to also be able to like sink what you care about into it you want to be passionate yes. about it obviously that's super important so yes it's it's, it's the double-edged sword of all time it's a hard balance <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hug up. Uh, hit me up. Last, last one. Yeah, no. Uh, my career started a while back and started with 
just doing stop motion animation and cutout animation. Big fan of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So, you know, I was uh, in um, And in high school, I actually, you know, got really into animation. I was, and this is, you know, this is early days of computers. So um, the only thing I had was a physics program. So I would use the physics program to create animations where I would simulate car crashes and people flying out of the windows. And that really, that, that kind of got me going and I had to do computer animation and fortunate enough that my cousin's friend's neighbor was a kid genius who was doing 3D animation in Lightwave. And this is, this is like 1996, 95, 96. So right out of, right in high school, I was a senior. I actually interned with him. Just, I was like, I want to do animation, teach me animation. So he's like, sure, here, do some stuff. And I just would go to his office um, every day for about six months doing whatever he told me to do in the animation and learn 3D programs and started working on commercials and got a job there. And basically, yeah. Nice. Rest is history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Um, Jay, I think we'll do the giveaway in just a couple minutes. There are some more questions in the Q&A. If we can do any of those, um, let, let's ask one of those real quick. Um, the yeah. anonymous attendee, um, has anyone seen a good cheat sheet of animation animation terminology? Let's say for producers or directors so that they'll be speaking the same language. Sort of what we were talking about before, any any easy to grab thing with nomenclature on it? Well, I know my, my book on how to produce independent uh, animation had it, but that's out of print. So that won't really help. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't even a shameless plug because it's not even there's <laughs> nothing to plug. You can't no, get it. Come on, Mark. Several books out on there. eBay. Yeah. They, well, look, it's on Amazon, but it's like two hundred bucks, and that's believe me, it's not worth. <laughs> oh, it was a plug. Nice. No, yeah, no, no. I don't get any <laughs> money from the resales. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, Kane. What were you gonna say? What book? Maybe. Yeah, no, I was just saying there's there's several books out there. If you just look for uh, animation for producers. Okay. Maybe. Interesting. Oh, producing animation is a really good one. Um, uh, it's a purple book. I'm I'm trying to uh, think of the the two women wrote it. It's it's fantastic. So it really covers everything, including scheduling and budgeting. Nice. If anyone knows the name of that, put that in. Catherine the Winder was one. Producing animation by Catherine Winder. Nice. Perfect. Um, Jade, any more questions from the list? Yes. 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 Um, we have. I, I would love to know um, if there's a favorite project or a least favorite project that anyone would want to talk about. Sharing. I can just go real quick. Levi, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I got onto Star Wars Lego, I was in heaven and because <laughs> uh, TV, man, that stuff is so brutal that the schedules, the, the way that goes, like it, it was an ongoing rigorous schedule thing that I did not love in the end and so when I got into Star Wars Lego um, it was a lot smaller it was like a group of 10 people you can just kind of talk with people in the same room and um, and and the projects were smaller but the quality was higher Um, so you could put what felt like a lot more into it like special effects and lighting just just up the quality than what I was seeing in tv and so when I came in um I didn't start off on Star Wars Lego at first. It was like on Lego City stuff, but they soon found out that I had like a real interest in that stuff. And they're like, well, maybe we'll throw them some shots. And uh, one of the supervisors threw me a, a lightsaber shot. 
and you know like this this is this is six-year-old me going yes thank you (laughs) (laughs) and uh and i did not screw up the opportunity because i was like i don't know if i'm gonna get another lightsaber shot but i I put myself into it like i did reference for it i thumbnailed for this sucker like i put everything into it and it it impressed everyone enough where they're like give the lightsaber shots to levi (laughs) and uh and from that point on for like a year or two you know i was I was in heaven doing lightsaber shots for Star Wars Lego, you know, little, little mini Yoda, mini Luke, little Darth Vader, like, ah, so good. So (laughs) (laughs) that's great. Anyone else? uh, One of my favorites was when I, when I first decided to go full-time into storyboarding, I I had been uh, art directing at Nickelodeon for a number of years and Spielberg moved into Orlando with Sequest. If any of you remember the old, Sure. Uh, submar- futuristic submarine series on NBC. And um, I figure, well, it's it's Spielberg, NBC it was the biggest budgeted show on TV at the time. And it was science fiction. Not one of those things is bad. So I, I wanted on that show so badly. And 15 minutes later, I had the gig and it was the most fun and the best food and great off. I mean, it was, it was literally everything. And I got my start on doing second unit direction on that show. My first season in, um, that was, that was a, that was an absolute dream job. That's cool. Yeah. And I think that's what we all have to keep in mind as we go through our lives in production or any sort of, sort of creative role, I think is that you're going to get ones that are sort of stinkers and then you're going to get ones that are awesome and you got to hope you get more awesome ones, but it's no guarantee, but enjoy them while you're there for sure. Cause I, yeah, I think my, my first movie was called slave girls from beyond infinity. <laughs> it got better after that. <laughs> I think there's a, I think there's a fine line. It. I was going to say, I think there's a fine line though, because like if you're going to uh, my experience is if you're going to have like a, long career um rachel sort of like hinted at it there's you have to have i, I call it like double think like th- this I'm, I'm constantly practicing double think um where yeah you're gonna have um different projects that are of um in this instance different projects that you like more than others but you need to find something that you do like about it um you know again the ones that are really horrible that you can't do but most other ones, there's like sort of pros and cons. And you're, I think the idea, so, you know, to prevent yourself from getting jaded and to, you know, um, allow yourself to sort of stay um, creatively motivated is to sort of like find the part of the project that you really do like and just concentrate on that. I mean, you know, you the negatives, they're always going to be there. But if you can sort of just kind of keep present the the positive parts, I find that that really helps me just stay present and like kind of do good work Um day in and, and day out. Um, and, you know, so I, like in terms of like my personal favorite, I mean, it's, it's hard not to have like projects that you've like conceived yourself and then sold and then you get to make, like those are super fun. Um, um, so, uh, you know, it's hard to say which one of mine, I'd say, I'd probably say this this the small little project I did for DreamWorks TV called Fifi Cat Therapist was just super, it was just super fun. Just, it was like, we had a great small little writing team and just, I just, I just really liked everything about it. I think the episodes came out great um, and they were fun and they were kind of what I envisioned going in. So um, that'd probably be my favorite. 
my I guess my favorite I can talk about my favorite and least favorite because it was the same project um, <laughs> right before COVID uh, I was doing I was working on um, so I had pitched similar to what Mike was saying you know it was kind of my idea pitched it you know complete uh, you know blank slate kind of thing and it was the keynote graphics for the HIMSS uh, conference which is this huge uh, conference of like biotech that kind of thing you know 50,000 people uh, come to it and it was for the huge screens in the back. They were, you know, 30 feet by 20 feet or whatever. I mean, they were, you know, huge. And uh, we it kind of, we had this really cool, it looked like something almost out of kind of uh, Prometheus, you know, had this very like Ashthorpe vibe, really cool. And we were about two thirds of the way through it when the entire world canceled everything. And Hims decided that they were too far into it to not have a video, but they would not need this video anymore. So we, um, we took this awesome, beautiful piece as it was coming along and we turned it into a 16 by nine web video. Jeez. And it huh. just, <laughs> you know, it was, it was, I mean, I understand what they did. And we, we, we were able to take it, put it together in a way that was still, it was pretty nice, but I mean, it was, it was, it was no, it was a nine, it was a nine by 16. They, yeah. they did it vertically you're saying yeah yeah gotcha yeah yeah that's right but it, you know the, it was supposed to be this huge wraparound for the comp you know for the ballroom it was it was gonna be so nice and it was jeez so. super rough yeah. um i think that puts us to the trivia part so um load up your shoot stop video here is the question everyone get there um what we're gonna do is uh you post in the chat the answer of whatever this question is, but uh, go to shoot stop video, log in, make sure you are there because if you're not, then you won't know the answer, but you might be able to figure out the answer if you've ever seen this show before. Um, okay. So here we go. What did I, Justin just post on the shoot stop video community wall. So go to the community wall and, uh, and tell me what I posted. It's the thing that I talk about all the time. What you had for breakfast. No, no. Uh, eggs. Because we got chickens. So we always have eggs. We used to have chickens until the raccoons got them all. So. Oh, no. Really? Jerks. Anyone. Here we go. All right. I don't, I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm going to defer to Blake on this one. I don't know. Let's, there we go. Okay. So. Um, Mark Schultz answered madness. Mark, I don't know if that's a complete answer, Mark. It just says madness. And I don't know. You won like three times already. So we got to work that out. We also have Claire Van Fletteren and uh, Brick Madness is the answer. So yes, that's uh, for people who don't know. Shameless plug. Here we go. Brick Madness is the movie that is currently on Amazon and has a little bit of animation in it. Some really intentionally terrible 80s style animation for a uh, for one of the characters in his show and so yeah that's that's the deal that's the movie that we made and it's about lego national lego tournament so anyway that's that um claire's the winner love it so fun and thank you for going to shoot stop video please now that you're there add some stuff to the wall watch other people's things add comments that sort of stuff you know how walls work you've been on facebook before um jade do we have any other parting questions for these guys we got a few minutes left we should actually probably handle um some stuff that was in the q a i, I think was gonna say we got a couple, couple in the more Q&A. yeah hit one of those up um let's see let's see let's see Ta-da-da-da. 
I'm a corporate producer and my clients are starting to ask for more animation. Can you give me a better sense of what is 2D versus 3D versus motion graphics and any other forms that fall under the generic animation umbrella? Big topic. I can say that I've answered this question for the same people over and over again and clients and just everybody. And you're, it's never gonna be answerable. There's no answer to this question. It's more about what is it that you want? Show me examples, let's talk, it's a conversation, but to separate 2D and 3D is, it's almost impossible in the whole spectrum of things. Sure, there you can say this is a 2D animation, but there might be 3D elements in the background. There might be 3D tech, like, it's a very, um, complex thing and 2, 2D that's rendered that for a lot of people looks 3D or 3D that's flat shaded that looks 2D and, yeah. and, and, it's not, and it's not the client's job or the producer's job or like there's a lot of people's job it's not their job to understand how maybe a producer maybe how it's actually being made you know it's about what do you want the final result to be and let's figure out a way to get there but how it's actually done you know, is it done in After Effects with a 3D plugin in After Effects? Is that 3D or is that 2D? It doesn't really matter. Just well, in describing it doesn't doesn't really help the situation, nor does describing it matter. So again, kind of like we were talking about at the beginning, it's show them samples, or if they show you a sample, you say, "Oh, that was done this way." You know, so this is an option, or we could do something that looks similar by doing it this way. So it's got to be based on the visuals. If they're not looking at it and they don't understand the industry, it won't make a hill beans of difference what you say. And I think, sorry to cut you off, Mike, I don't think there's a way to describe that. You can't describe visuals because we all see things differently. Even saying like, well, it's red. You know, like I want a red color here. And you're like, what? What does it mean to you? Is that DJ's shirt? Is that Space Ace in the background? Is this what Rachel has in the background of hers? Like there's, there's multiple, you know, like even something as simple as that. So you have to have something to actually say that thing. Sorry, Mike, go for it. No, I was going to say just sort of uh, piggybacking on both, both what Kane and Mark said is that it's a starting point when they you have something uh, you know concrete to look at. But then, like Kane said, it's a conversation, man. There's like because they you know sort of what you said. They might look at something and they're like, oh, I want it to be like this. But when you actually dig in, it's it's a it's a small component uh, of it. It might be the, I like, I like the way the tail moved. I, that's the key thing that I'm, I'm keying in on. You, you don't see that being the, the main thing, you know, where someone else is like, no, no, no. It's like, you know, the overall art direction. I like the color. I like that. I, I like the, you know, the color palette, all that, the way it moved. I hate that. Um, the character designs, I hate that, but man, I love the colors. Um, and you're going to end up wasting a lot of your time making something that they didn't actually want but you thought yeah. that they wanted a lot, but it was just because you guys were talking about different stuff. Yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of, my my uh, goal is to sort of like over-communicate and, uh, you know, uh, some, pr- that might drive some producers away where, you know, they're just like, well, I don't have time, just go do it. And I'm always like, I don't want to take a job that I'm going to under-deliver on. Um, and, th- or yeah, I'm just going to under-deliver on that. They're going to get it. And then they're going to be like, well, that's not what I talked about. So I, for me personally, I just, I want to, I want to talk to them a lot so that we're really on the same page and we're talking kind of throughout the process. Um, excellent answers. Um, we have uh, one more question here. Sorry, please. Oh, sorry, never not, not that part. How does a COVID scenario change studio budgeting now that artists have more powerful computers and the studio itself has less expenses? Should the artists start charging more? 
How does that yeah. work? Do you guys, do you guys have better stuff at home than they have or more like better pipelines at least? I actually wrote a big article on LinkedIn about this very thing that um, uh, studios need to change how they reimburse their artists and artists need to understand that if they don't charge extra, they're funding the production company, which is not an employee's job. You know, all of a sudden you're paying more for electricity. You're paying more for water. You're paying for upgrades. You're paying for desk use space that can't be used for something else. There's a tremendous amount of extra expenses that you take on if you used to work at a studio, but now the studio has you working from your house. So yeah, there are expenses that you absolutely deserve to get paid for. Um, and if you don't understand that, well, look, you have to understand business. Everything we do is a business. Yeah, it's art, but it's also a business. Um, but And you have to protect yourself or people and companies will take advantage of you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give a slightly different perspective on that, which is um, I think it kind of depends on where you are in your career and what your goals are, um, et cetera. So I think it's different, like to sort of like Rachel's, um, you know, sort of experience that you come out of uh, art school and it could take years to actually get your first position. I, I kind of, I kind of give different advice to different people depending on where they are. I think getting those first couple of um, uh, jobs is just, it's super hard and it's super critical. And I don't think you have, I don't think film schools and animation schools in general prepare folks very well for what it's like to be out in the job market and what they're up against um, with people who actually have been doing it for a few years. Um, so I just think you, people need to sort of scale their expectations. Like, uh, you know, someone that is fresh out of school, they might have some, they might have talent, right? Um, but they might not really know how to uh, use it efficiently. And so giving them work might take five times longer. I mean, all things considered, I'd rather pay, I'd rather pay three times more for the person that has five years experience, um, but get it five times faster, because it's ultimately going to be cheaper for me. Um, yeah. and, and I just think it's, um, there's not a one size fits all, um, answer to that. I think it's Mark is people like Mark who've been doing this for a long time. Absolutely. You're like much more in the, the driver's seat. And I think it's just sort of a, a knob between where Mark is and then where people are who are just out of school and just sort of like understanding, um, where you fit and where you are and how everyone else is perceiving you, I think is, is helpful. Yeah, I think you should just have a conversation with your coworkers and friends who are in the general same area as you in your career and see what is happening with them at their studios and um, just make sure that like you're you're basically in the know like and that you know what's going on at different studios and stay up to date so that um, so that you basically know like which area you really are at. It's it is pretty um, unclear sometimes on what area you're at because you grow and <laughs> you grow out of things and then you're in a new, a new different level. So just keep, keep in tune with the industry and like your friends who are working in the same kind of area as you. You know, that brings up a good point on something else I just saw in a contract that I refuse to sign, which is some studios are now putting in there that you may not discuss how much you make with mm. any coworkers or anyone outside the industry. And you should also never, ever sign that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you should also never sign a contract that says you won't speak badly about a project. Because the only reason for that is to protect 
people who are doing bad things. Of course, we're not going to talk badly about it if we're not being no. treated badly. But if, if there's a sexual assault or if there's a physical or, or bullying abuse, if they don't take care of it, of course, we need to be able to speak out about it. And if you sign that contract, you can't. So um, the only way we know how much we should be charging is if we can talk openly with one another about how much we're getting paid. And, and companies are trying to keep us from doing that because it benefits them. But if all of us just decide, no, I'm never going to sign that, it takes everybody sticking to it. So I just, I just take those pages out and I, I don't sign them and I never send them back. And I have yet to ever hear word one back from somebody. I've never even questioned about it. That's really, really great advice. Yeah, I definitely am all for like keeping it open about salary with friends. Yeah. So read your contracts too. Read them. Every line. Yeah. It's a it's difficult important. thing. It, yeah. If you're just starting out, you know, like we've had this discussion a few times already, if you're just starting out, like you don't have much leverage, you know, if a grip comes to me, if a PA rather comes to me and it's like his second day on set, I, I don't want to hear a bunch of demands from him, you right. know, but if he's a gaffer and he's great and I know he's great, then I'm much more willing to take those demands into consideration. So, you know, these are, these are all business decisions. And like Rachel said, you can't tie it to your own self-worth. You have to tie it to what's important about what you do outside of work and all those things, you know, hopefully it should be a way to enable the rest of your life to be awesome as it can be. Yeah. So, um, all right. We had a lovely discussion here and we are out of time. So I think that's going to be that for that. Um, yeah. Uh, plug your stuff. I think everyone posted already in the, um, in the chat. It seemed like everyone put that up there. If not put that right now, all your info. And we always make the chat, um, what do you call it? The transcript available for everyone. So you can download that later, but, um, Mark, give me a, give me a 15 second plug. Where do they find you? Uh, at storyboards-east.com is everything about the storyboarding and animation uh, that we work on or marksimonbooks.com for all the books on the industry that I've written. Beautiful. Love it. DJ. Uh, I'm at DJ Summit on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Summit Filmworks on Facebook. You can go to djsummit.com. Um, yeah, find me. Reach out. Let's chat. Yeah. Levi can find some animation reels on vimeo.com slash levi ames there you go nice mike pipsqueakanimation.com uh if anyone needs anything it's really easy to get in touch with us <laughs> very good and rachel uh rachelj.com and you can find me and some of my art on rachel j instagram my instagram handle is rachel j Notice the spelling of the Rachel and the J that's yeah. important in that uh, <laughs> transaction. Kane. I guess go check out uh hiddengemsfilm.com. Very nice. Love it. Um, and you can find me on at Justin makes movies on Instagram or my name on Facebook. And there's a, a link tree with Justin McLeese that would probably take you to all that stuff. So um, yeah. Uh, Jade, you're lost. Yeah. Uh, jadezeroff.com and then my instagram is at jadezeroff you can Beautiful. find me dancing in an earth costume most of the time. <laughs> i love it um 
I'm going to add my link tree. Uh, go watch Brick Madness if you like comedy or you like things that are good because I made it and I think it's good. I tried really hard. So check it out on uh, on Amazon or on uh, you, you can buy it on brickmadness.com. You can buy actual DVDs and stuff. So cool. Thank you so much for being here. I had a great time learning about this stuff. This is one of my weak spots. I don't know that much about animation, to be honest. And so it was awesome. Uh, go to shoots.video and uh, make those, yeah, get those logins going, get, get our community working for all these types of stuff so we can all get hired and do that good, good work. Um, talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for hosting, guys. Yeah, it's a pleasure. You might be looking at shoots.video and thinking, so how does this all work? Is this about A, setting up the whole crew for me? B, just giving me options and having me handle it. Or C, something in between. Well, it's D, all of the above. To put it simply, we're here to help you in any way that we can to get the crew and talent you need for your next production. We believe that every level of video production can benefit from a well-maintained list of qualified crew members for every position. This goes for pre-pro, on set, and for post. Every project is different. So if you need a producer to help manage the decision-making process, then we can totally do that. If you're already a producer and want to build your own crew from scratch, then go for it. We're here to make your next production a success. And if you are crew or talent looking for producers that want you, then you've come to the right place. Sign up now and also leave a referral for any solid people that you know that are already on here. Thank you for considering ShootStop Video and happy shooting.